And so my whole professional life, I, you know, had to secretly use still a lot of work in terms of education, but there is a lot of desire to have those conversations. What's interesting is right now we don't have one industry. We have 37 industries in a trench coat. Rule of thumb is always start low and go slow. You know, it's interesting. I like to think of life as a labyrinth. I'm still standing after all this time. All right, welcome to another great episode of the Dre and Smiley podcast. Wow, Dre, we have Elizabeth Sage. Elizabeth is a certified gongier, wife, geriatric toddler mom, a change maker, bravaholic, bravaholic, and relentless champion of choice when it comes to advancing the personal plant medicine. Elizabeth, that is so cool. What is a gongier and what is a geriatric toddler mom? <laughs> <laughs> so um, a geriatric toddler mom is actually anyone over the age of 35 is considered geriatric in terms of female reproductive health. So just that blows my mind. Nine too. Have, yeah, I have a uh, 16-month-old son and I'm almost, I'll be 43 years old next month. So it's, um, you know, having him being geriatric and them just saying that over and over and over, I, I guess that is what I am. So I'm going to embrace that, right? <laughs> well, when, when I read your bio and before we started, I said, Dre, geriatric, that means she's got to be like 65 and she had a baby, like a miracle baby. I was not expecting 35 <laughs> to be the definition of geriatric. Who comes up with these it definitions is. anyway? They, yeah. Well, that's, listen, that is a whole other conversation that we could get into someday. But yeah, that is for women of a certain age, when you have a child over 35 is considered geriatric. So right. I'm embracing that title. And I also embrace the title of certified gongier. So yeah. that is a cannabis sommelier. Um, to, to put it in very layman's terms. And every industry has its champions, right? The beer industry has a Cicerone and cheese industry has cheesemongers. We've got chocolatiers. The wine industry has a sommelier. And now the cannabis industry has gongiers. So can just to elaborate on that a little bit, because we had a guest on here who expressed, expressed the cannabis realm to us with the MSOs and different things like that. <laughs> As a gongier, do you specialize in the can, uh, the gummies or the smoking or the uh, mushrooms that, uh, or the, yeah. what is it, it's, the cupcakes, the edibles? Or what everything? is really cool, um, gongier, the program, is a multidisciplinary program that takes a look at cannabis from breeding to cultivation to extraction, remediation, there's sales, there is every facet of the cannabis industry has a module around it. And so it's an all online course that you take and then you follow up with an in-person training in Northern California where you physically are learning to assess flower and look for quality markers and understand the nuances of how different strains are grown and that sort of thing. And then following that you return to Northern California and take a final examination in both written customer interaction. And then the cornerstone of the program is called the systematic assessment protocol. So that's what looks at the actual quality of specifically flour and concentrates right now. But we're looking at the appearance, the aroma, the flavor, and the overall experience. Wow. Wow. Fascinating. So let's ask uh, the obvious question. How did this come about? As a toddler, were you walking around thinking, hmm, I wonder, I wonder <laughs> what it would be like to be do. a professional in the area of cannabis? <laughs> you know, it's interesting. I like to think of life as a labyrinth, right? Like we're, we're here, we start at the outside, you see where you're supposed to be in the inside. In your entire life, you start to move towards that goal and you kind of get there and you're like, oh, wait, we're just going to take a left. And we go almost to the beginning and you weave back and forth. And yeah. so when I lay the last 43 years of my life out, 
about, you know, one of my first few jobs that I had in high school, I worked in greenhouses. Okay. And I, you know, when I went to college, I wanted to be in broadcast communications. Ah. And then I left that. I went into fashion marketing and merchandising, specifically buying. And then I threw all that away and I worked for a private investment company mm. for 15 years. Um, and then all of that time, though, since I was about 15 years old is when I first tried cannabis. Mm -hmm. And I never could under I could never explain to people why I liked it, why it worked. Most people can't. Right. Mm -hmm. You just say, oh, I feel better when I take it. And so my whole professional life, I you know, had to secretly use I. Um, you know, it's, it's an interesting thing where I am now looking back to where I started, but around 2018, I moved from Chicago where I'd spent the last 15 years back to my home state of Minnesota. Mm. And I knew that I wanted to make a career change at that point, but I wasn't exactly sure how, when I left Illinois, it was still illegal. Six months later, they used executive order to legalize it. Michigan went legal. All of the States around me had cool things going on. And I just packed up my whole life here to Minnesota. Um, but in 2020, right, so I in 2018, I had started to do what I think a lot of people who want to be entrepreneurs in the cannabis space do, and go on exploratory trips. Mm. So I went to Colorado and California and looking to see what's these new markets that exist, what do they have? How can I get involved? And I remember very clearly, I was driving, I have two older kids, and we were driving back from my parents house in northern Minnesota, and I was listening to a podcast, and they had, they were explaining the Ganjia program hadn't been released yet. And I remember listening to the CEO, Max Simon, talk and talking about all of the things that it aimed to do and to plug the knowledge gap and, and to empower people to go out there and, and be ambassadors of the plant. And I was like, yes, yes. Yes, all of those things. And, you know, I pulled over to the side of the road to like bookmark it, download it, get everything because I didn't want to forget it. Mm. And I remember applying. I remember getting accepted. Like and all of it just it, it all comes together in this big journey of like, what are we supposed to do and where are we supposed to be? And so after taking all of the courses and enjoying it and being so curious, like so, so curious, and I just wanted to ask more and more questions. Um, that allowed me to develop some different groups that I facilitate and different educational modules that I um, that I sell to help people take information that they know, synthesize it differently, but like really dig into it from mm. a community aspect. Because I think what has happened in cannabis in particular, but in many places for so long, is there's so much stigma around it. And so conversations are so siloed and they're so private and really aiming to have these bigger conversations that people are comfortable with, people, whether it's listening or joining in, just being able to introduce people to the plant, to all of the amazing things that it can do, and, and allow them to just feel comfortable in that space. Sure, sure. And to your point in terms of it becoming more acceptable, legalized, um, more and more throughout the country, have you noticed a change in the conversation um, in terms of people being more open to, to discuss it? Or do you find that, you know, you still have to do a lot of work to educate people about, hey, this isn't what you thought it was? Yeah, so there is still a lot of work in terms of education, but there is a lot of desire to have those conversations. Okay. So what I find is a lot of people saying to me, this this is what I think, is that right? And I have to say, no, let's, you know, we'll take it back a little bit. And and really, it's a remedial education, because growing up, you know, I'm, I'm a Gen Xer. And so I grew up in the D.A.R.E. era of like, just don't do drugs at all. And so I was saying before, I always knew that it made me feel better, but I couldn't tell you how. And what I realize is it's really important for people to understand how it works in your body. Mm. And that's honestly, that's the key to having good uh, good experiences is knowing what you're doing, how much of it you're doing, and then setting your expectation and your intention for what that's going to be. That's key. Everything in moderation, right? Having a clear understanding of how it impacts mm -hmm. you and then approaching it uh, with moderation. So you mentioned the entrepreneurship uh, angle. Uh, that kind of what, what mm -hmm. initially kind of sparked your interest where you had these exploratory trips to Colorado, et cetera, and kind of what sparked your interest in becoming a gangier. So talk to me about the um, profitability and what you're doing today. 
Yeah, this is really interesting. And I think this is probably one of the single biggest things that when I talk to people about the cannabis space, investing in it and being in it, that they don't know. So because it is still federally illegal, there is a tax law called 280E that companies use to write off their operating expenses. So about 40% of your operating expenses are something that you can claim as a tax deduction. Cannabis companies, because it's still federally illegal, cannot make that deduction. And so when you see companies that are doing good business, they're selling a lot of product and you're like, but why aren't they profitable? Like I myself, I'm like, why do all my investments suck? This is why. Um, And not only that, access to banking. They don't they can't get banking like any other business. Again, because it's still federally illegal, there's only a handful of companies that will work with them. You pay exorbitant fees for it. There's a lot of loopholes and, and side door back deal stuff happening. So and there are there are legislation, you know, in in the works to address some of that, the SAFE Act, the MORE Act, there's a lot of opportunity there. It's just until we see anything done at the federal level, we're not going to be able to do anything about some of these larger issues that are facing or big corporations, not even big corporations, any cannabis corporation is facing. When, when you look at these acts in different states, because I think there's 33 or 37 states where it's medicinal, you could, you could use cannabis. From the SAFE Act, the MORE Act, or even the federal banking, which one of these would be the biggest catalyst? Uh, which one would you politic to have done first? Is it the banking? Is it the 280E Act that you mentioned? If I, I mean, if I was getting to pick what the government did first, I would uh-huh. say deschedule it. Just straight up de-schedule, de-schedule it, um, mm-hmm. and let people let it be regulated as an agricultural crop let people grow it for themselves, let them grow it for their neighbors. There needs to be oversight, but there doesn't need to be this taxation. Cannabis is one of these industries. It's it's maybe the only industry where it is taxed along every part of the food chain. So the farmer gets taxed, the distributor gets taxed, the uh, manufacturer, the retailer, ev- you know, and then as a customer, I'm paying it's it's and again so that profit that gets back to the farmer i think for every $50 eighth that a farmer sells they get somewhere around $3.50 profit in california right now depending on the company depending on how it's grown there's a lot of metrics that go into that but it's really people don't understand they think the farmers they see the price in the stores and they think farmers must be making bank but that's not again there's just so many layers in between it that's not what's happening unfortunately mm. Wow, that's crazy. Well, I, I want to circle back and come back to this in a moment. But as a ga- certified ganjier, does that mean you're certified in, in Illinois, but not Minnesota, or you're certified in California, or you're certified in all the states? It is not nationally accredited yet, I think, because it's still in its third year of the program, right? Since since legalization, again, is still federally not happened. And even in some of the states, you know, Colorado was the first state that had adult use. And even that is not even 10 years old. It's only nine years old, which is pretty crazy Mm -hmm. when you think about that. Um, So this is a it's an international certification. We actually have certified Gangiers in uh, Germany, in the UK, Canada, South America. We have somebody studying from New Zealand right now. Um, And that's what's also very interesting is internationally cannabis has seen a huge explosion. You have countries like Israel, you have Canada, Germany, all of these places have thriving markets that we hardly even talk about here in the U.S. But so, yeah, it's a it's an international designation. And then circling back, you mentioned you were in private investment. So coming from the investment world, looking at this nascent developing industry of cannabis, what would you say if you put on your your private equity hat and say, okay, I see this MSO or I see this sector, this gummies or whatever it's doing over here with the edibles, I see that they're most poised from an investment perspective because they have the least amount of risk or they're greater on the government taxation side. Or do you do you look at it from that perspective with your investment background? You sure can. And so what you want to be looking at is your total addressable market. And what's Mm -hmm. interesting is right now we don't have one industry. We have 37 industries in a trench coat. 
right? And they're all trying to be one, but they're not. And there's different, like an arm's falling off over here. We've got three heads poking out. And so it's it's difficult to to have one thing that works here and another thing that works here. And everybody's growing for their own state, not really understanding, number one, their consumer because their market hasn't been developed, right? There's a lot of flour being grown, which is great because it can be turned into a lot of things. But is that going to be a huge market in places where you know, smoking is publicly outlawed here in Minnesota, for example, we have really strict public smoking laws, and all of the cannabis laws will have to adhere to that. So public consumption is going to be an issue, and it's going to be an issue going forward. And I think, you know, that's probably where your conversation with Andrea was a really good one, because she's looking to fix, she's looking to solve that problem. Um, but just having people understand what your total addressable market is, okay, what are people looking for, and who's going to provide that for them. And, and when we hit that day, when it is not federally illegal anymore, and you can have interstate commerce, a lot of stuff is just going to fall to the wayside, because we're not going to need 400 companies making gummies. It's just that's it's not effective. So it, it really is going to depend a lot, again, on, on what the federal law does. But yeah, each so then you can look at that in each state even and say, like, how much do they really need? And then as people's education and their knowledge base goes up, what they're asking for out of their producers changes too. And so people's ability to stay current with what their market is asking for makes a big difference in their profitability and their sustainability, to be honest. There's a lot of companies, um, you know, that have good investment investment backing, but just don't have the tenacity to stay in the cannabis market right now because it's a race to the bottom. Mm. I, I, I think, and this is my last question before I turn it over to Andre, but my statement is, I think it's so amazing because if you just look at cannabis from an industry perspective, we have pharma, automotive, steel industry. We're actually watching the blossoming of a industry that's national or it's, it's state by state that's going to be federal eventually. And then you even touched upon the other internationals, Israel, different countries. So if I were, or if you were working with a cannabis company and you're saying, okay, we anticipate in five years we're gonna be federal, it's gonna be destabilized, or not destabilized, descheduled. Are you looking international? Like say, for example, if I'm in Minnesota, it's legal. Can I ship something to Israel? Or I can't even get through customs because I can't even look at those markets because I can't get out the country. Or how does that global? No, that is correct. Like? So interesting. Um, globally, a lot of countries, so I'm going to use the UK for an example, and they have a medical market yeah. there and they can import from anywhere in the world except the US because the US won't export. But so in the UK, they don't have a lot of diversity of their cultivars. They don't have a ton of quality growers, but they do have the ability to import from places like Israel that has those things. Colombia has those things. Um, there are other nations that are starting to get a little bit further online and able to produce better quality. But yeah, so there's a huge industry here in the U.S. that is being untapped. You see Northern California dying and all of this amazing flour that they're growing and could be exporting if we as a country allowed them to do so. So unfortunately, we are limiting our people at every step of the way. And losing out on that opportunity, that market share, right? Like the U.S. could be the predominant exporter of cannabis and we're choosing not to. Yeah, huge. So so we've talked about, Elizabeth, the uh, the entrepreneur side, the, the money, um, the, the laws around it, the restrictions, things like that. Let's take it to a, a different um, area in terms of the, the plant itself, right? The benefits. Mm -hmm. So being a ganjier, you've, you've, I imagine I've talked to a lot of different people, I've heard different stories about the benefits. For our listeners that are curious uh, about, you know, the benefits of, of um, plant medicine, is there a story that you could share with us where it exhibits, it illustrates the transformative power of plant medicine? It's really hard to pick one. 
And, and so what I would say is actually every single person that I have met has that story with the plant. And whether it's their own personal use that it happened mm-hmm. or the care of a family member. Mm-hmm. And I think that's, that's what actually gets all of us to having people appreciate it, having people understand it, having people respect it, is their personal stories. So I have a girlfriend who had a son who had a lot of severe psychological issues Mm. and to the point like she had fear for him Mm. she had fear for her family around it Mm -hmm. they'd had years of you know intervention from different family therapies and things and and she tried she tried all of the the pharmacology that they gave her and and none of it was working but you know a mother's intuition said i use this plant for these things how can i dial into what are the issues that he's facing and what can I tie back to like, okay, if it's this, then this and, and go through that whole process. And so she, you know, having, and this is what's crazy too, is, you know, having a son quote unquote in the system, right? When you need family services, you're in, in the DCFS system and there's nothing wrong with that. People need that. Mm -hmm. People need those services. And, but having a son in the system who's having his meds monitored and then having a mother's intuition knowing I have a plant that can help him and, and experimenting with that is like, it, it's so terrifying. And like, also it makes me so happy mm. to see where she and he are five, five years ago from when she started that. Mm. Um, and it's, you know, like it touches on, I think a lot of different things as, as a mom, as someone who has, you know, had to make sure that I had a medical card because I needed to make sure that it's not something where DCF comes in and tries to investigate me for usage because I have kids, you know, so for her taking this leap of not only her using around a kid being in more of a, a spotlight, but, you know, trying to figure out how to help him by using this plant and the fact that it did and it worked and then not being able to tell anyone, yeah. like, actually, we've been tapering off of all of these petropharmaceuticals and we've only now been using plant medicine for X amount of time. And that's where the differences happen. And then not being able to share that, mm. the frustration behind that. But like truly the beauty of seeing that family today, like it, it makes every single thing that I do worth it. Mm. And, and it's not to say that it's, it's the perfect medicine for everyone, right? Like there are a lot of people I also like to highlight the other side of it. People that I know that have, have used it and it's led to, you know, psychotic breaks. Now, were those probably going to happen anyway? Maybe. Is there something that can trigger it? hundred percent. I've seen it happen. So there is no, there is no safe usage of anything, right? Like too much water can kill you. Mm-hmm. Um, but I always say there's, you know, because cannabis is so universal, whether it's something that you want to ingest, something you want to rub on your skin or something that you want to build your house with, it's all cannabis. And there's a, a modality for all of us to have a relationship with the plant. I, lo- I love that story and I appreciate you sharing it. One of the things that, um, I guess frustrates me is that when it comes to care, right? Some people feel like there's only one solution. Some people feel like it's only Western medicine. Some feel like it's only holistic medicine. Some feel like it's only whatever. And I I wish there was more of a universal acceptance of all these different options that exist because, you know, there is no one silver bullet to cure anything, right? Mm -hmm. And so the story no. you shared kind of helps illustrate that where uh, this mother, um, like you mentioned, is trapped in the system where the care she needed didn't exist in the, the normal path. And this uh, mm-hmm. more kind of an unorthodox um, option existed. She was fortunate enough to, to have someone to kind of say, hey, you know, here are some options you may want to consider. With that in mind, what's, what, what do you suggest to other parents, individuals um, that are interested in exploring plant medicine and doing it safely um, and intelligently? Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, the, the rule of thumb is always start low and go slow. 
Okay. Um, and, and so whether that is taking one inhalation at a time, sitting with that for a couple minutes to see how you feel, taking a gummy in a small dose, I mean, 10 milligrams is a pretty standard dose, but that is actually a fairly high dose, especially for someone who's never utilized it before, doesn't understand how it works in your body. Um, without getting super specific, the different ways that you uh, ingest or use cannabis will affect you differently and for different durations. So inhalation is going to be your quickest, uh, quickest onset, quickest offset, usually about 45 minutes is your experience. And um, that is taking, you know, any flower that you have is technically THCA. And by combusting it or decarboxylating it, it activates it, that becomes THC. That's what you take in. When you take a tincture, you're putting that under your tongue. So some of it is going to go in your submucosal layer. Some of it is also going to go through your digestive tract because of all the saliva and things like that. Um, this is probably your second fastest way you can do it. And then when you take it orally and it goes through your digestive tract, it actually converts to another substance, which is 11-hydroxy-THC. And so that's a little bit smaller and the distribution of it is different. That's why you have longer onset time, longer duration, and longer offset time because it's a, it's a different drug now in your body. Got it. Got it. Low and slow. Okay, have to low yes, and slow. I remember that. But so also education, educating yourself. I have a course called Cannabasics that's five modules and it's these are the things that you need to know about cannabis whether you want to explore it for yourself, which is really important, but I also have two baby boomer parents who have now I'm in Minnesota, so we have a low dose hemp edibles law that went into effect last year, so you can have up to 50 milligrams of hemp derived THC in beverages or gummies. So for them, that's something that they had started exploring because now that it's legal, they feel comfortable and, you know, asking me questions all the way through it. But, you know, it's so funny because my dad will be like, I don't really feel it. And I'll be like, well, when do you take them? And he'll say at night. And I said, do you wake up in the middle of the night? And he said, no. And I was like, that's, <laughs> it's working. That's why it's, it's working. It's working. You actually read my mind, Elizabeth. I was about to ask um, about, you know, education around it and the courses you have. So Canna Basics, that's the course. Yep. Cannabasics is my five module course that I'm teaching live right now. So each week you get a module dripped into your inbox and then I do a live question and answer because I think as I alluded to before the community aspect mm -hmm. and the back and forth, like I just like, I like learning from other people. I like being able to have more of a conversational style like we're doing now versus like me preaching and teaching in front of a screen with words and pictures. Mm. Um, so that the interactive style is something that's really, really speaks to me. And then starting August 1st, I am doing a course that is specifically focused on menopause and the intersectionality of cannabis and that because, you know, alluding to my geriatric toddler momness, I am also a woman of a certain age going through perimenopause. And it's something that I've realized within my peer group is not something that's widely talked about. We're not talking about symptoms. We're not talking about management. And because I know so much of it affects parts of the body that have CB1 and CB2 receptors that cannabis can be helpful for I'm taking this it's it's more of a I don't I don't know exactly how to describe it it's like a deep dive together with me and then subject matter experts in different areas of the industry so it's it's my attempt to learn and bring other people along with me for the journey and where can our listeners uh, access those courses you can follow me on the sage Gangier on Instagram and there's links in my bio to everything Right. No, I, I was sitting here listening to every word because I um, I'm in my 50s and I take these drops for glaucoma and the, the doctor mm -hmm. says uh, you got to take these eye drops for pressure and I said well how long he's like well how long you want to see I was like what do you mean he's like until from now and every night till I die I got to take these drops so I don't reduce the pressure so I talked to some of my friends a lot of them nine out of ten. You should start smoking weed because it'll reduce your pressure. And the said, ocular well, pressure. Exactly. So everyone, so I want to just know, do you find, and I was so glad you talked about the menopausal and different cannabis things for ladies. Do you find that there are certain gender type things like say, 
a large percentage of men may take these gummies because it helps with the macular or optical pressure, or you're finding that men are using this for other, is it, do you plan that cannabis is gender specific for certain I, illnesses or no? You know, it's interesting because the, the actual sex of the plant matters so much in, in what you're getting, right? Like it's mm -hmm. all female plants and you don't want any, you don't, you got to keep the males away from them if you want to do it right. Because if you have the males pollinating the females, then you get seeds and that's not desirable. So it's, it's really, really interesting. The plant being so specifically male and female, the effects of it, are very universal, right? Universal, but specific. So what mm -hmm. I see the future of honestly, all medicine is personalized medicine. So even in the last five years or so, we've started seeing blood tests for um, SSRIs and things like that. So mapping out how things, how drugs work in the brain, and then mapping out people's body chemistry and figuring out what's a good fit. So you don't have to play around the guessing game quite so much. And plant medicine is very much the same. So each plant as it grows has a combination of cannabinoids. Normally we think of that THC and CBD, but there are lots of other minor cannabinoids, THCV, CBDV, CBG, CBC, can go on and on and on. Um, those, those are a big part of what, those are where it's going to affect your body. Those are going to hit your receptors different. They're going to keep things in your body more. And then terpenes are what is the gas, right? If the cannabinoids are the car, terpenes are the gas that give it a different effect. And we don't have a ton of great data exactly how terpenes enhance it, but we know that they do. And we know that the absence of them has a definite effect on the overall experience. So, I say that because each person, regardless of gender, has certain needs that their body has. In the same way, when you have a headache and you take an aspirin, you're not saying, aspirin, please go to where my head hurts. You're saying, you, you take your aspirin and your body knows. Your body's sending signals from its receptor saying, like, I am hurt. And then aspirin comes in and he's like, oh, help. And cannabis is the exact same way. You have receptors in your body. We have a... Um, we have an endocannabinoid system. So our whole body has all of our great systems. We've got our skeletal, our muscular, our respiratory, all of the good. There's 12 of them. And one of them is your endocannabinoid system. It's a series of receptors that are coupled with other receptors that are designed to connect the cannabinoids that our body makes. We make anandamide and 2-AG are the main ones that our body makes. Um, but we then have plants that I think of like a supplement and they make photocannabinoids, THC, CBD, those other things. So these are, they're interchangeable molecules. So if we are deficient on things, taking the plant in these various ways, shapes and forms actually helps supplement what is already going on physiologically in our body. And essentially what we're looking for is stasis. We're looking to get the right balance of things together. Mm -hmm. and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to switch back. That was such a, I'm, I'm, I'm going to replay this and take notes because that was such a, I feel like I was in I class just now. Take my course. Take the course because I love the, the turbines and cannabinoids. Professor Sage, and, Dr. Sage. It, 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 it sounded like a Star Trek episode of the Ferengis and all the different characters, but that is it so is. cool. But, so one thing is, and, and this is going back to the business side of it, what keeps cannabis enthusiasts up late at night. For example, if I was an MSO or a flower producer, all right, it goes federal, now ConAgra, RJ Reynolds, the cigarette people come in. You know, now they can just crush me. I'm thinking like, well, are those guys like at the door waiting for the feds to come in so they could crush all the little guys? But what is it that keeps you up as a Gagia at night saying, all right, we're gonna get all these federal regulations, but it's a, it's a blessing and a curse. What is it that is. thing? Yeah. Um, so it, maybe it's an unpopular opinion. I think that there is space for everyone to exist. And the same way we have a atmosphere right now where we do have a large beer industry, but like Coors exists. And locally in my economy, I have Indeed Brewing. And I know in Chicago, you know, Half Acre Revolution over in Mission, Michigan, you know, New, all of these places, they have their craft beers, they have their nationwide distribution, they have places that, you know, supply beer specifically for this and in specifically this way, shape and form. 
Um, I think the underlying answer to it is education, because if you have a more informed consumer, you are going to get better products. But at the end of the day, you need access to products. And as much as like I enjoy a, a very fine craft rosin that has been beautifully cold cured and costs $80 a gram. Is that sustainable for me? No. Is that sustainable for most people? No. And so at the end of the day, finding the intersectionality between access and quality is what I think is most important and getting people to get behind the fact that, you know, there are parts of this that yes, are an agricultural product and can be used as a commodity, but the parts that aren't the plant touching parts that are going into people's bodies they're going onto their skin, treating that with the same reverence that we do for organic food and for grass-fed, you know, beef and poultry and things like that, understanding that makes a difference. If your cannabis has been sprayed with glycophosphate the way that a lot of our agriculture is, that's a problem. You're now, you're not just taking that into your body via your digestive system, you're now inhaling that. So, you know, I, again, I think there's room for industrial hemp when we're talking about things like that. Like you can do different things with that, but helping people understand the difference, helping people understand asking for more quality, what to look for in products, and then figuring out how to make that one cohesive industry where people can get along. But like, I mean, that's a pipe dream, right? Show me one industry where everybody gets along. True. But you touched upon something that was very, um, uh, I guess, uh, encouraging, not even encouraging, just thoughtful. When you look at the regulations, and I'm looking at cannabis, is it is it pharmaceutical? Is it food? Is it agribusiness? Is it is it gummies? It, where do you fall? Are you under those. the USDA? Or you follow under the uh, FDA? Again, 30... 37 industries in a trench coat. Each state regulates it differently. So Illinois is regulated under the Department of Agriculture. Here in Minnesota, up until recently, it was uh, the Department of Health and Human Services. It, each, each state does things differently. Now, in states that are in, in adult use markets, usually there's an Office of Cannabis Management that's set up, and that can work in conjunction with other state agencies. But like, here's the 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 big, um, what, ooh, what do I even say? It's a lot of cannabis companies are run by people who don't know anything about cannabis and also don't care. And that is a problem. Like that's honestly the biggest problem is people see the business aspect of it, which is cool. They don't understand the whole process seed to sale. They don't understand, you know, for me, I'm a big like the passion, the spirit, the love, all of that. They mm -hmm. don't have that. And that's what's lacking in a lot of businesses is just the fact that the people who are running them don't love the plant the way the people who have been growing them in secret for the last 80 years do. D devil's advocate. Why is that important? That's no, that's that is a fair question because I say that all and, the time. And I'm able to, I'm able to fund the business and hire people that care. I can hire people that have been doing it for 80 years, but you know, are burned out and they want to. So why is that important for me as the funding, you know, entity to care as much? I think because you in order for cannabis has everything going against it mm -hmm. right now there's not other the fact other than the fact that everyone who uses it loves it which is actually the most important thing it has everything else going against it so i think that you have to truly love the plant and what it represents in terms of people and our holistic health and you want to see that flourish you have to like to me to love the plant is to love people because mm. I think ultimately we're just complicated plants, right? We need love, we need sunlight, we need water, mm. but it, it's not that hard. And there are many people in many companies that have a very strong disconnection with self and a dis disconnect with nature and a disconnect with all of the things that allow us to actually be sovereign humans. And so I'm not saying you can't be successful without having a love of the plant, but for me, in terms of companies that I want to support, in terms of companies that I can get behind, and in terms of companies that I think will be long-term successful, I think it's really important to have just the humanity aspect behind it. Makes sense. Makes sense. All right. Two quick questions before we hit the uh, the final four. So the first question sure. is, 
Um, are there any projects you're working on that you'd like to share with our listeners? I, I have a lot of projects. Okay. That is one of my, um, you know, like jack of all trades, master of none. Okay. Uh, but I, I, right now I'm working on, I think I alluded to before the community aspect building that I've been doing. And so for the, the two and a half, three years that I have been part of the Ganjie program, I've built a community over there of, you know, fellow certified Ganjie students, cannabis, you know, are, it, it's a whole community. And so taking that community and trying to figure out the next level of how do we work together? How do we make sure internationally standards are being upheld? Um, we calibrate with each other on a weekly basis. So looking at the same cultivar and making sure that the standards for appearance, for aroma, for flavor, um, that that stays consistent across and that we're and then we're looking at different things in different markets. We're looking to see, like, what are they doing over there in New Jersey? What are they producing in Florida, in Georgia, in Oklahoma, all these different places putting them against that same SAP criteria and making sure that our team stays calibrated across the country um, is mostly where we're doing that right now. So my, my big project that I'm working on right now is trying to find a more official outlet for that to live. Um, and then, like I said, the, the menopause and cannabis course that I'll be starting on August 1st are my two, my two main silos. But I think I mentioned before I have, I have big kids and I have my little kids. So I'm, I'm a full-time mom too. Like I do all of this in between nap times and early in the morning and with my kids in front of a television with snacks. Yeah. It's, um, you know, we juggle. That's awesome. That's awesome. Okay. Last <laughs> question before we go to the final four. So think about your peers, colleagues, friends, family. What's one thing that a lot of people don't know about you that you wish they knew? Ooh, um, I'm a pretty open book. What do I wish they knew? I, I would really like to take singing lessons. I don't know if that even counts at all, sure, but like I, sure. I'm, I'm pretty good at most things that I try, but I think consistently people in my life would say that I'm not a good singer, um, but I really wish I was. And yeah. I think in my head I am. Yeah. So like I would, I would really like to improve that and like get myself to the level that I think That's I'm right. already at. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess it's maybe that I think I'm a good singer, even though no one else. Do you find that after you consume the cannabis, you sing better? Or do your friends think you sing better? <laughs> no. Louder. I sing louder, for sure. And I think, like, I am that person frequently in the mornings walking around the park singing out loud with my headphones on. I, just... I, I have a daughter. She's 16. When she was under five, it was fun to sing. Now that she's 16, she's like, you're embarrassing me. Please go outside and sing. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I guess a lot of that yeah. feedback is coming from within inside my own world. Right, right, right. Yeah. <laughs> it's part of being yeah. a mom, part of being a dad. Well, we're going to move into the <laughs> final four. And basically, <laughs> if you're to have dinner, okay, there's a table, four chairs at the table. You're in one of them. You have three other representatives having dinner with you. Alive or dead, who would you want to be at your table and why? Okay, so my first person I pick, and I always pick this, is Drew Barrymore. Ah. And because she has been, I know, and it's like, it's an odd one. No. Um, but like she has, since I was, you know, probably 15 or 16 years old, she has like always been like, I just think she's cool. Like, I think she'd be fun to hang out with. But I also think she's a very complicated soul. I think she's a very empathetic soul. I just like, I think she would be an interesting person to hang out with. Um, I would pick my grandmother mm. that my daughter is named after that I lost six six and a half years ago um, just because she was one of my favorite people always to hang out with. And she wasn't, you know, a lot of people have grandmas that are like super profound and have blessed them with a lot of wisdom and like a lot of good things. And um, sh she blessed me with a lot of good things. I don't know that wisdom was one of them, um, but just her, like she, like she just handled everything, right? Like you didn't see a lot of fluctuation in her. And in some ways, I don't know that that's a great thing, but her steadfastness mm. is something that I can really appreciate, in, you know, in the role of an entrepreneurial mother, like just being able to handle things as they come and not let emotional reactions to things 
get the best of me has been, you know, something that I really, really try to work on. Um, Oh, so two other people like this, this is tough. I have, can I, like, I have two, two very good, and they're not even like best friends, but they are two people that I'm on numerous different text messages with in different apps, right? Like we've got four messages in each of our different apps, but um, they're two of my former work colleagues that are just like my, my favorite people that each live in different spots now. And we don't ever even talk about big, important things. We talk about like the, these, you know, we have our small niche of mundane memes that we send to each other, but it's such an important relationship yeah. to me because it, it has so much more behind it. And both of them, I make a point to see when I'm in their respective cities each time. And it's like a, a beat has not even happened. And so like, and, and to have the two of them together, which never happens, like that would be my, my dream dinner party. And my grandma would awesome. be entertained by all of it. No doubt. Nice. Nice. What's been your greatest success personally and or professionally? Oh, I think keeping my sanity mm. is my biggest personal success. Mm. I, um, I feel like COVID was really trying for a lot of people and I walked through it in a very different way than I think I would have, if that would have happened in, you know, five years preceding that. And so for me being able to just stand you know, to, to make it through all of that. It was, you know, in a lot of ways, that's what catapulted me to where I am today. Um, and I think I look around and I see people that are going through, th that went through so much worse than I did, right? That, that are still also holding all of their stuff together. And I see people who went through things like not nearly as much as I did that are like absolutely losing their minds right now. So it's saying it affected everyone differently. And, um, I'm, I'm just, I'm happy that I'm still, still here, still kicking it and like still doing it with a good attitude and a lot of optimism and enthusiasm. Yeah. I suppose like there are a lot of us that are still just getting along, but I'm still like, I still wake up excited every day. I still wake up with, you know, with hopes and dreams yeah. and vision. So I think that's what I'm most proud of is the world is a, it's a disillusioning place. Yeah. And so the fact that I can still find the beauty in all of it and still find excitement around it, I'm really, really proud of, but it's a lot of work. Like I put a lot of work into You're that. You're still thriving, right? Exactly. Well, thriving might be a little bit. <laughs> I, 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 I thought of the song, I'm still standing after all this time. Exactly. <laughs> so, so, Elizabeth, based, based on that, are you as good of a singer as Smiley or better? <laughs> that, was, that was probably right on par with where I am. <laughs> So maybe we take the lessons together. Like Elton John, it would have sounded a little different. But... <laughs> well, the third yeah, uh, yeah. final four question is, Superman can fly, the Hulk has his strength, the Wonder Woman, she has her truth lasso, and she has her invisible plane. What is your superpower, your unique power that's just you, that you have that no one else has? Uh, well, I... I don't know that I have something that no one else has, but I think that I have the ability to, I think this is actually more of a mom thing, do many things at once, right? I can have a conversation with someone while I am physically doing something and also mentally planning something while I'm watching the time to figure out until I need to get to my next activity and then also waiting for the doorbell to ring because I know that. So the ability to to try and keep everything moving and trying to keep all the balls in the air. Um, I heard a really great analogy once and it's, you know, life is a series of juggling balls and some balls are plastic mm -hmm. and some balls are glass and you just have to know which ones are plastic and they can fall and they won't break right. and you just got to keep the glass ones moving. Yeah. I like that. Thank you. It's great. Great analogy. Great analogy. So um, let's say you were to write, you were to write a, a autobiography. What would the title be? Uh, there goes the motherhood. There goes the motherhood. I love it. <laughs> there goes the motherhood. I love, it. I love my, it too. It, well, and it's not, it's not quite an autobiography, but it's a book that I've been working on for a while in pieces. And it's just sort of my journey 
not just through cannabis, but like through spirituality, mm. through trying to figure out the essence of who I am and what those different things mean. And there's, you know, a lot of different things that contribute to who we are as a self. And so learning to look at those pieces and not necessarily be so attached to them and so tied to them and having that space from them because who we are and what we do in certain moments are, are really only points in time. And each day and each moment we get to choose who we are right now. And so a lot of what holds people back is rooted in the shame from who they have been. Mm. And so teaching people to connect with who they are now, who they want to be, and then living in that reality as opposed to the past that that holds them back. And so for me, cannabis has really helped me be able to do that. It's helped me be able to sit in a space where I can be intentional about things. I can process things, right? Because there's a lot of stuff. It, it, it can be really painful. And when it comes to pain, like antiseptic is okay. That's true. Well, that's well said. I'm going to get that on a t-shirt. I like that. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. I like that too. <laughs> I, yeah. I like life is a labyrinth. I love that one. Yeah, that's actually, I um, I have a meditation coach and I have done some deep dives with her. And actually after I took my Gangier course, I took her course. Her name is Vanessa Files and her course is called Activate. And she's starting a new cohort this fall. But she does some really incredible things with helping people find their true selves and allowing them space to work through all of that. Because honestly, somebody holding space for that is one one thing that I think people have no idea what that even feels like, that that level of support. So the work I've done with her over the last four years has been really, really integral to my changes. Well, Elizabeth, I want to tell you, this has been most fascinating. I, I'm just oh, so intrigued by the whole cannabis industry and, and really from the outside looking in, I've just, I've in my 50 years, six years of life, and I'm sure it's happened, but I've never watched an industry grow, just start from nothing, go from, it's so cool. I mean, it's almost like watching prohibition, like back during the thirties mm -hmm. when alcohol was illegal and now it's legal and it's everywhere. But cannabis is giving us a, a bird's eye view into that industry as it's blossoming at the state level, the federal level, and hopefully the global level. So thanks for giving us a peek into your world and for sharing your amazing experience. And and now I can say I spoke with a, a Gangier because I, I destroyed it when we were preparing. And he's like, no, Smiley, it's not God. It's not gang, it's God. So thank you for all your wisdom and your experiences. Thank you. Yeah, just to piggyback on what Smiley said, you know, it's, it's one of those things where um, – you know, growing up, you know, it was so uh, taboo to talk about, you know, weed, cannabis, things like that. I appreciate you coming on our platform to kind of help, you know, demystify it a bit and uh, create some more awareness around and education around it. Our listeners will, to so those who are listening, we're going to link to your Instagram page. Perfect. So that all listeners can can, uh, can use consume some of your content, your courses, things like that. Thanks for being on the podcast. No, thank you for having me and allowing me a place to share. 